Hello, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast. My name is Ariana, if you're new here, and this is my podcast, Model POV. I'm 22, I live in Canada, and I've been a model for six years, so this podcast um, is really for raising awareness on situations that surround the fashion industry or that the fashion industry um, may or may not have influenced or have been impacted by um so yeah and situations that i or my friends have personally experienced so yeah i hope you enjoy if you are new here if you're not new then thanks for sticking around and welcome back we love you here today's episode does have a trigger warning attached to it so we will be talking about the um, history of diet culture if you're sensitive to information surrounding topics around starvation or restricted eating please do not listen to this and go take care of yourself you can come back next episode i just don't want you to get hurt so um we are going to get into it now um so yeah Despite most people, including myself, often attributing diet culture to more modern times like the mid-20th century or early 2000s, especially when the heroin chic style was quite in trend, diet culture can actually be attributed to as early as ancient Greek society, in which regulation and moderation of food intake was promoted as a means to attain calmness and a marker of supreme self-control, which they viewed as one of the highest virtues. This point of view was also popular in early Christianity when a lot of practitioners began to recognize the body as the enemy of the soul. Founders of the early religions such as St. Anthony, St. Augustine, the early Desert Fathers, St. Jerome, and St. Basil would engage in excruciatingly long fasts and sleep deprivation as an act of physical purgation and a means to attain communion with God and to tame the animalistic aspect of the human body. Um, This is still like a pretty common point of view, I think, in some religions and, you know, I'd say like spiritual practices for sure. There are the yogis in, um, I think it's India. I don't, I also, I really shouldn't say that. I don't know if that's the actual proper term for it or not, but um, there's these people in India, somewhat like Buddhists, Buddhist monks anyways, um, that will meditate for like literally hours hours and hours and hours every day and really hardly eat anything and they've actually been proven to live longer but don't do that um these people have obviously been like practicing it for years and while it is um a religious aspect that doesn't necessarily mean you have to practice it and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be healthy for you everyone's different and um me especially with my spiritual practices like I don't know, just like given the history of my health, I for sure wouldn't be able to do this. A lot of what I need to do to, you know, keep my body running the way that I want it to is I have to eat a lot of unprocessed foods and fresh fruit and vegetables and just working out and having water and all of that good stuff. So um, please don't starve yourself in an attempt to live longer or to you know, get closer to God or anything like that. Um, There's plenty of other ways you can do it. And the people that do do it and are successful have, you know, they've gone to like shit like mystery schools or literally Buddhist temples to learn this. So don't do it at home by yourself, please. So that specific act, however, is called anorexia mirabilis or holy anorexia, and could be understood as the basis for modern-day diet culture's association between virtuosity and dietary choices and the apparent morality of food. 
Diet culture itself um, can be understood as a system of socially conditioned and constructed beliefs that that thinness is synonymous with health and associated with a sense of moral virtue. Diet culture often offers a culturally prescribed body shape, an ideal that preaches an ever-shrinking skinny and sickly form often attained through restriction and deprivation. It advocates weight loss as a means of attaining a higher health status and a sense of virtuosity, virtuosity, virtuoso, uh, (laughs) and consequently uh, oppresses those who do not meet this thin ideal. Certain foods and food groups are elevated while others are demonized, such as carbs or butter, if you've watched Mean Girls. The first diet book was published in the 1500s, when during the Renaissance, um, the idea of obesity and depravity persisted, and perceived gluttony was still regarded as sinful. Um, The first book, which was released, um, was titled Discourses on the Sober Life, the Art of Living Long. And while it didn't necessarily talk about super restrictive eating, um, Luigi Cornero, who was um, a Venetian nobleman and patron of arts, who's the author of this book, um, he had, I, I don't remember if he like used to be really deep into alcoholism and got completely sober and that's what he wrote the book about or anything but the book itself pretty much preaches um a life of complete sobriety which you know I think is like common sense obviously if you want to be healthy you probably shouldn't be drinking or even smoking I'm I'm guilty of that if you guys listen to my other podcast Stone Talks you know that I've been wanting to quit smoking and just kind of ingest my marijuana legally by the way as I said I'm 22 and the legal age in Canada is 19 thank you very much <laughs> um you know I've I've been wanting to like not smoke I've been wanting to find a different ways of ingesting it so my lungs can stay healthy but yeah I don't know like that's just um it's it's a commonly known fact to this day that just being sober and ingesting less chemicals because alcohol is a chemical is going to make you healthier so that's what Luigi wanted to get his point across for. Yeah. From his late 30s onwards, after indulging in a life of excess, there we go, he began a very strict and restrictive diet, eating only approximately 100 grams of food per day on the proviso of attaining longevity. Subsequently, a number of other diet-related books were published throughout the 1500s to 1700s that paved the way for 19th century dietary practices and the emergence of modern-day diet culture. Um, However, even though Luigi's was the first diet book that was published, many often think that William Banting's letter on corpulence was the first. However, it wasn't published until 1864, in which he wrote about his success after replacing an excessive intake of bread, sugar, and potatoes with mostly meat, fish, and vegetables. However, William the Conqueror, as he was also known, was not the healthiest specimen himself either. Though he was healthy for most of his life, he became so overweight in his later years that he went on a liquid diet consisting of almost nothing but alcohol. Something that is similar to William's diet that later emerged was what was called the drinking man's diet in the 1960s, which included so-called, quote, (laughs) manly foods like steak and fish, along with as much alcohol as desired. I just want to point out the correlation between being insanely drunk and being a man there. (laughs) So, (sighs) 
In the 1800s, the ideal frame for a woman or a man became thin and frail and often was described as sickly but in a romantic way. Clothing became very form-fitting for both sexes, and radical diets like Lord Byron, who was a famous poet, his vinegar diet emerged. Around 1850, the idea of Victorian anorexia developed in which women would undergo self-imposed starvation to look as thin and frail as possible. As a result, um, it was during this time period that the first low-carb diet Diet retreats and calorie counting books and diet diaries were developed and promoted to the masses as a means of weight management. Fast forward to the modern day, and we obviously have apps like MyFitnessPal that does it for us. Um, I do know some people that like just do it in journals, though, but I don't know. We have apps that support it, and I don't know. Like To be honest with you, I think those apps themselves should be regulated a little bit because you never know if somebody's doing it to, like, you know, pretty much starve themselves. And um, as I mentioned, there is going to be a little bit of a trigger warning in this. If you're still around, I would assume that this next part is fine for you to hear about. But when I was younger and I was like, you know, dealing with my own eating disorder between the ages of, I want to say about like 13 to 17, I would use those apps. And literally to this day, you guys, I have it memorized that an apple is about, oh no, I don't have it memorized anymore. Maybe that's a, I think that's improvement, but um, I'm pretty sure apples are like 500 calories or something. And so myself, that's what I would use it for. And there needs to be a way to really make sure that like it's not being used that way. Because I think so often like young girls such as myself will do that. And it's, it's just like kind of bombarded in your face, to be honest with you, even more so for the younger generation. But Anyways, um, like I said, while the ideal body type that is often discussed is no longer thin and frail as well, like in in the Victorian era, um, or the heroine chic look, like I said, that a lot of models had sported in the 90s or early 2000s, many women and men, though it's less common, are often led to do some quite dangerous acts in order to receive their idea of what the ideal body is. The BBL surgery being an example, um, a side effect of the slim, thick body trend that a lot of, unfortunately, as I said, very young people end up growing up consuming every day. The Brazilian butt lift surgery has a mortality rate of 1 in 3,000 patients, and since 2015, the number of butt lips, butt lips, oh, gross, but lifts performed globally has grown by 77.6% according to the International Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, and it's the fastest growing form of plastic surgery. The procedure itself involves transferring fat from one area of the body, such as the midriff or thighs, to the butt. And complications following a BBL procedure have, according to BAAPS, which I'm going to look that up right now, because I didn't bother to include the actual full name, the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Um, Let's see. They said um, that it's the fastest growing form of plastic surgery. Oh, wait, no. 
Sorry, guys, I lost my spot. Where is it? Complications following a BBL procedure have, according to BAAPS, or the British, British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, ranged from severe bacterial infections, including MRSA and pseudomonias, tissue dyeing or necrosis, scarring, wound raptures or dehiscence, that does not sound nice, um, and abscesses, among others. Death from a BBL is caused by the accidental injection of fat into large veins, which then travels up to the heart, lungs, or brain. So in conclusion, you guys, I just want to remind everyone yet again that social media is the fakest thing on the planet and you really should not be on there for hours. Otherwise, even if you don't grow to become insecure of your body or your face, whatever it is for you, it does have negative long-term effects on your health, such as an inability to focus for long periods of time and narcissistic personality disorder which is actually a little different than what people actually think um, it is. Obviously, people think narcissists are, like, obsessed with themselves and that they're, like, the best thing ever. But a narcissist actually thinks that their problems are the only important ones. They're the only one that could ever possibly feel as horrible they do. And they don't necessarily think they're the best, but they do view themselves as separate from everyone, which is a common theme with a lot of young people. And I really don't want to see you guys go down that path since a good majority of my audience on here are between the ages of 14 to 17 and then 18 to 25. And, you know, even with modeling, you know, there's a whole crew that is working on the model and they've had extensive prep most oftentimes as well. Models get like, like professional treatments, um, facials, for example, eyelash lifts, microblading. Um, personally, like, I don't do any of that, but the market I work in currently is quite small, so I can only really do it, like, part-time, um, which is fine. Like, I don't mind that, you know. I like freelancing and stuff, but, um, like, when you're making a lot more money with it, it's really easy for you to get, um, like, not plastic surgery, but beauty treatments such as a lash lift or, like, brow laminations or facials, like, whatever it is. And I like all of those, so I'm not hating on it, by the way. Um, but those, like, really help with it. And a lot of people don't do that. So I just want to remind you guys that nothing is as it seems ever most of the time. And the best way to really avoid all of these things is to focus on yourself and what you enjoy. So remember to love yourself and love others. And I'll see you all again next week. Bye for now.